Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Welcome to our final week, our final session of our Who series. I think we need to do it one more time. Can we? All together now. Yeah, we've been studying what it means to be human. And it's been quite a a trip, hasn't it? it? And what what kind of clarity has emerged for us from the opening moments of the biblical story and right down to the end, God created humans to shine bright, to actually reflect his rule and glory through their embodied selves. Over our six weeks, uh, we've kind of broken the series down into three parts, two each. For the first two weeks, we looked at how humans are created in the image of God, and they reflect his relationality in all that they do. For the second two weeks, we explored how human beings image this relational God as fully embodied sexed beings, that our bodies matter, uh, really, really matter. We dug into that. And now for the final two weeks, we're digging into the why of it all, the purpose that humans were created as ruling royals, that was last week, and as praising priests, that's this week. That's what we're going to explore today. Human purpose, as it turns out, really is, dare I say it, like a mirror. It's like we're made to reflect. As ruling royals... We were created and commissioned to reflect God's goodness to the world. Hit me, Olin. Okay. Oh, oh. I'm not going to bring it too low because you didn't bring your sunglasses to church this morning, did you? Okay. Close your eyes and then just feel it on your face. Oh, my goodness. This is seriously lighting you all up. Okay, open your eyes. I'm going to shine it up. I'm going to shine it up just for your sake. But think of it as shining your eyes right now. Can you think of that? We were created to reflect God's rule to the world so that God's goodness, his character, his intention is reflected through us as his images in the world. And and we, we talked about that, how humans were to rule as royals responsible for the good in the world, responsible for God's world under him. So in that sense, we reflect God to the world. And last week's message, as well as all the messages, are available on YouTube, on our website. So if you missed that, please dig into that because it really is part and parcel of what we're saying today. Well, as praising priests then, the reflective angle, as it were, is reversed. Now, I want you to imagine now that instead of, of, of that being the reflection coming from God, that's all of you right down there. Go ahead, Owen, turn it on again. But this time, we're reflecting it straight up back to God. That we, as human images, now stand and we're reflecting the praise and the worship and and the glory that is due to God back up from creation, back up to God. 
I'm going to lay this here. I'm going to try not to break this tineal. Where am I? Oh, I, I will break it, won't I? I'm going to lay it down. There we go. <laughs> we reflect creation's praise back to God through our work, through our worship, through our witness. And to really understand what it means to be a human being, to understand human identity, and to live out our high calling as images of God, we have to understand that we have, as human beings, a kind of intermediary role on earth. We've been created from the dust of the earth. We've been breathed into by the breath of God. And we stand, in that sense, in between, reflecting God's good and care to the world, reflecting creation's praise back to God. Today, we're going to look really in many ways at both sides of the mirror with an emphasis on the second, and then we'll wrap up the series. But let's pray together as we continue. Lord Jesus, today we look to you, the ultimate priest, the ultimate image of God. Nothing of what we're saying today could be true without you. And yet, because of you, it is more true of us than we realize. And would you lead us today into the truth of who we are because of you and what you've done and what you're doing in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When God rescued the family of Abraham out of slavery, he did so with intention. God wanted to recreate a new humanity and restore them to their purposeful place as images of himself and to even do it within a new kind of garden of Eden. You see, the land that God promised to Abraham, then promised again to Isaac, then promised again to Jacob, then kept promising for hundreds of years until he finally led them to take possession of it through Moses and then Joshua. This land was a place that was like Eden itself all over again. Beauty and bounty. A land, we're told, that was flowing with milk and honey and big, big grapes. And, and, and so this is, it, it's pictured in these kind of ways. As the people were coming out of Egypt, they were given these origin stories, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and on, as a way of God helping root their current experience of redemption and rescue, rooting it into God's overall intention for humanity. God wanted his people to know what he intended to do with them, what he intended for his human images, how he intended them to rule as royals in the garden of God's creation, but also to live as praising priests, reflecting God's glory back to him. It's an incredibly high calling incredibly high. And so before Yahweh ever gave his people the law, before he ever gave them the 10 commandments, he rescues them. And then he tells Moses, this is what I want to do with them. We heard from Exodus 19 already, but let me just read a portion of it again. Uh, Moses climbs the mountain. Uh, God says to him, here's here's what, what I want you to tell these descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, this is all grace. God, did, I did this for you. I rescued, not because you're, you're awesome, not because you did something fantastic, not because you were particularly cool or holy, that's for sure. I did this because I loved you. And he says, to, now, if you will obey me and keep my command, my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Now, Israel had no idea what that meant for them. They really had no idea where God was going to take this, what it even entailed. But God did. 
And much of Israel's story as it unfolds is God forming for himself a special people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And all the laws and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the judges and the prophets and the kings and the priests and the sin and the failure and the false starts and the foibles, as well as the triumph and the, let's be honest, fairly few, but some shining moments in there. All of that reveals God's slow pursuit of his goal, the people would be his ruling royals and his praising priests. That was God's intention in the Garden of Eden with the creation of humanity, but he is continuing to pursue that. Now he's narrowed it down to the people of Israel, but it's what he's going to do through them for the world. And while the people of Israel failed to become the ruling royal praising priests that God intended, God's promise didn't fail, and his intention was finally realized through Israel When Jesus came, Jesus the Messiah came as the great high king and the great high priest, the son of David, and we're told in Hebrews, a priest of a different order, the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, the faithful Israelite, the fullest human image of God, and he performed perfectly where everyone else faithlessly failed. But God didn't stop with Jesus. This is so fascinating. Rather, through Jesus, now God continues to fulfill his original intention to form for himself a holy people, a new Israel, who would be his ruling royals, his praising priests. The faithfulness of Jesus made this all possible. By succeeding where everyone else failed, Jesus now offered to his people his faithfulness, his righteousness. It gets credited to their account. And now humans as they express faith in Jesus and what he's done, they're now forgiven and they're restored. Death is defeated, sin is overcome and the Holy Spirit comes in and begins this human restoration project by making new creations in Christ out of broken images of God. That's the story of the scripture. So get this, in Christ, the great high king of kings humans are now able to rule as the royals they were created to be. And in Christ, the great high priest, humans can now begin to praise as the priests they were created to be. And it's with all of this in mind and with this story arc and how it's all worked through the people of Israel and culminating in Jesus and through his death and resurrection and his ascension to the right hand and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all of that narrative flow is happening. And all of this is caught up by the apostle Peter who later in the New Testament takes the same language that God used in Exodus 19 to now describe the followers of Jesus who are both Jew and Gentile. And he says this in 1 Peter 2. We heard it already, but listen to this verse again. But you, you, Jew and Gentile, you, the new people of God, you, the followers of Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's using the same words, same language, same terms. You are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It was God's intention all along to form for himself a people who would act as his ruling royals and his praising priests. Sin definitely got in the way, but Jesus made a way through sin and death so that we could be restored to who God had created us to be and called us to be. But let's take a step back just for a moment, because for some of us, when we hear the word priest, it doesn't work for us. It just doesn't. I know this. Priest is a loaded religious term, right? 
And uh, you may not want that applied to you. In fact, some of you maybe didn't come today because, or maybe you stayed at home. Or maybe you're watching this later. You were just thinking, I don't want to be a praising priest. That sounds weird. Anyone? Listen, if you're from a Catholic background, you may have a particular perception of priest. And that could be good. And that could be ambivalent. It could even be bad. You might be from a certain region of the world or a particular ethnicity where the word priest might be loaded with a lot of political and cultural baggage. Or there might be those of you who are from a non-religious background or a Protestant background, and you know you aren't a priest and you're really happy about it. But that's because our modern understanding of priest and priesthood has really been colored by the Roman Catholic Church. Rather than, when we hear the word priest here, rather than it being formed by the people of Israel and, and their priesthood, those people coming out of Egypt many, many thousands of years before. And these are very, very different things. And so in order for us to understand what's meant here about the royal priesthood, what it's meant, what it means for us to be praising priests, we've got to kind of set aside the you know, men in clerical collars and think of guys in linen ephods, okay? So, you see, as God rescued his people from Israel, he wanted them to be a royal priesthood. But they had no concept of what that meant. They had no idea. So God set up a kind of prototype priesthood within the larger nation through one of the families, through the family of Levi, one of Abraham's 12 sons. That family was chosen out of the whole nation of Israel to be priests on behalf of everyone else. And they were given the responsibility of representing God to Israel and Israel back to God through an intricate sacrifice system. Just this morning in my Torah reading, I read how they had all these special garments. It was just kind of like, talk about neat timing. Um, all these special garments and how they'd have all st- these different colored stones and, and, and each of the names of the 12 tribes were inscribed on these stones so that, and this is very explicit, so that they would always be carrying the names of the people of Israel into the holy place, representing them to God and representing God back. It's beautiful. And much of the Torah, but particularly parts of Exodus and Leviticus, are about making that relationship between a holy God and a not very at all holy people, making that relationship possible. Well, the Levitical priesthood was central to Israel's worship and their witness to the world. But it wasn't the end goal. It really was a temporary measure. And what's more, as you'll discover in the story, the priests were a pretty messed up bunch themselves. They were sinful, and they needed someone to mediate for them. And all of that pointed forward to the need for a better priest and a better priesthood, which didn't come until Jesus came. Jesus came both as the good priest we couldn't be and the good priestly sacrifice that we couldn't offer. And you can explore all of that in detail in the book of Hebrews if you'd like to dig deeper. But what's important for us today is this. Through Jesus, our great high priest, we are now able to function as the praising priests that God always intended his people to be. Jesus restored people back to God, but he also restored people back to the priesthood. In the history of the church, the Christian church, um, that whole idea, the calling um, of 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 the priesthood, I'll be honest, took some false roads. 
And one of the great gifts of the Protestant Reformation was how the priesthood of all believers was restored and recaptured. Martin Luther and other reformers, you know, over 500 years ago, they pushed back against this false idea that priests were only a few chosen men and that we had to go through them to God. And they reclaimed the truth that all of us, men, women, clergy, laid, all of us serve as priests under the one great high priest, Jesus, the Messiah. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been baptized into Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a royal priest. You are part of the royal priesthood, whether you like it or not. Whether you knew it or not. I know some of you are going to be dressed in linen ephods next week, but you don't have to. Though this was God's intention for humans, and now in Christ, he is restoring that calling to each of us. The good news is you don't need to wear either a clerical collar or a linen ephod. You can continue to wear your flannel. But what does this mean to be a praising priest? Let me break it down a bit, and I hope to have a little bit of interaction from you as we go. There's three ways I think we can think of it. There's other ways we could, but three ways for today. As priestly images of God, God is glorified through our work. Work is an expansive word. We often restrict it to the job that we do and maybe hate and really look forward to retiring from. But that's not the biblical meaning of work. Work is an expansive word. Yes, it includes our jobs, but it's so much more. Work includes our family lives. Work includes our ministry and our responsibilities, the way we contribute in various ways to the people around us. Work finds expression in the art that we create or the stories that we write or the classes that we teach or the buildings that we build. Work is even found in our recreation, in our hobbies, as we seek to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us within the world he's made and even to, to, to share that out with others. Work truly it's a gift, and it encompasses all that we do in our lives. And that's why we say uh, these final sessions on human purpose, to be ruling royals and praising priests, are really two sides of the same mirror. They can't actually be separated in practice. They're intricately twined. We pull them apart to try to understand them, but they really belong together. That our work is meant to express uh, the divine mandate that God gave us to rule, which in turn gives God glory. They're very, very connected. The truth that God is glorified through our work has been a powerful encouragement to many people. And it might be a powerful encouragement for you. People who find themselves stuck in hard places, dead-end jobs, difficult family relationships, or just feeling the feeling of impossibility in their lives. To know that God is glorified through our work. That, that it enables us to put our best heart into it, knowing that even if nobody appreciates what you're doing, even if nobody sees what you're doing, even if it feels that what you're doing doesn't make any sense and doesn't even make a difference, you can recognize that I can still do this for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul challenged, encouraged uh, the Corinthian Christians at the end of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians when he said this. He said, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And many of us can carry that with us. And it can be incredibly encouraging that wherever we go, whatever we do, we are able to give God glory through our work. Let's just pause there for a moment though. How can you, your situation, your work, whatever that is, 
Those of you who are retired, this includes you too. You still got work to do. I hope you know that. How, how can your, uh, how can you reimagine your work, whatever it is that you do, as something that you are doing for the glory of God, something through which God is given glory. How can you reimagine? How can you reimagine your work as that? I'd invite you to just name some of the things that we do. Just throw it out. What are some of the things that we do? You can include jobs, but expand it beyond that. What are the things, what are the, some of the whatevers that are represented right here today? What are they? Laundry. Laundry. Cooking. Cooking. Changing, Changing diapers. Playing Scrabble. Scrabble. Very hard work, especially if you play against Leslie. <laughs> what else? What do you do? Operating machinery. Truck driver. Caring for animals. What? Feed cows. Caring for animals. Yeah. Look at that. Supervise people. Hiking. Pass. Pastor? He only works this morning, right? Just for an hour. <laughs> Visiting people. Yep. Caring for grandchildren. Whatever you do, you can do for the glory of God. So let me ask you this. How might your work, and maybe you want to narrow in on the aspect of your work that you've been most, I don't know, unthrilled about, a bit discouraged by. How might your work change if you really believed you're bringing glory to God through it? What might shift for you? Might your attitude toward it shift? Might the way you approach the day when you get up in the morning, might that change? Could it bring an increase in integrity in what you do when no one's watching? I'm doing this for the glory of God. I will sweep to the corner. Could it bring more contentedness and more peace? Because we often chafe, right? Oh, I hate this job. I feel so stuck here. Why am I doing this? This is dumb. Could it bring more contentedness in our lives? It still could be very hard. Don't get me wrong. It could be very dull still, even ill-fitting. But you still can bring glory to God through it. And what a shift that might make in your own understanding and engagement in your work. As priestly images of God, God is glorified through our work. Second, as priestly images of God, God is glorified through our worship. Humans are worshiping creatures, right? I mean, if you do any reflection at all on the human condition, if you just look around and consider deeply the nature of humanity, in all of our beauty, in all of our brokenness, with all of our idolatries and foolishness, as well as the goodness and grace that we see, you have to admit that we are all worshiping someone or something. It's all, yep. (laughs) Easy, don't go there, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, there might be a worship service later today called the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know anything about that. I'm not given to such petty idolatry. Uh-huh. We're all worshiping something or someone, and that's because we were designed for that. We were made to worship. 
and we don't worship the true God, we will find something else to invest our devotion, our love, our life into. You see it all around. As priestly images of God, we were created not only to reflect God's goodness down in the rule, but also to articulate creation's praise back up to God. Humans, and this is the picture that's given to us in all the scriptures, humans stand at the pinnacle of creation. Jesus at the pinnacle of new creation with a responsibility for the good of the earth. And we stand in this unique position now through Jesus to give, in a sense, to give words to a wordless world, to articulate the intricate beauty, to marvel at God's power and might and creativity and brilliance and give him praise for his mind-blowing creative complexity. And these are all interconnected because, see, the more we embrace our call to rule, and I, we got into this last week, rule being care and, and, and revealing God's character and goodness through our actions in, across the board. But the more that we embrace our role to rule, the more we will be able to express our position of praise. These are very intricately connected. Each of you have been created unique. There, you are an absolute one of a kind. And you have a special blend of passions and abilities and experiences, which means that the more we rule, the more you rule as the royal that you are, the more that you're able to express something really unique, something that is perfectly you and your blend and your experience, something beautiful to the God who has revealed himself in the world and ultimately through Jesus. Perhaps you've been exploring a new form of art Maybe you've been creating something or painting the landscape and you have captured something unique. No one else will capture what you've captured. No one else sees it the way you see it. And that becomes a way of giving glory to God that is uniquely you crossing over between rule and praise. Maybe you've been delving into the mathematics behind the physical laws of the universe. Maybe you've been wondering at the musical frequencies that are all around us. Maybe you've been looking into the nesting habits of the blue heron. Anyone? Anyone? Uh, maybe you've been exploring the inner development of the human baby. Maybe you've been training a puppy or trying to. Maybe you've been installing a new carpet or learning how to swim with more grace. All of this can come together. As you learn your rule, you then can express creation's praise back to God in a unique and beautiful way, in a way that only you are equipped to do. In each area that we rule, you're that much more equipped to praise. And when we bring all that together, when we gather as people like this and Christians who gather all around the world, there's something beautiful that happens because it's like there's, a, there's something that happens that God has glorified now many times over, but his praise is multiplied. Of course we worship when we're alone, and we should, and that's good. But our worship grows and multiplies when together. It's like the great symphony. I mean, a tuba by itself is just a tuba, Right? I love the tuba, but no one wants to sit through a concert with just a tuba. Do you? But put that together with a great symphony. Put that together with all the other instruments. And our blended praises become something greater than just our single praise. Some really is greater than the parts. When we gather as God's people to verbally and bodily express God's greatness and his goodness and his grace, when we just are... are, 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 are are blown away in our minds and we're, 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 we're rehearsing to ourselves and each other what God has done for us through Jesus and we're giving praise through songs or readings or art or dance or poetry or testimony through prayer and praise. We are living out a key aspect of what it means for us to be human. 
that we stand as praising priests and we reflect back to God creation's praise and also people's praise. That to God be the glory, great things he has done. It's beautiful. So let's ask a practical question. How are you, how are you uniquely gifted to praise God given where he's placed you to rule? Do you know the connection I'm making? How are you, given, given the place God has given you to rule, the, the, the relationships you're in, the workplace, the school, the, 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 the relationships you have, the plot of land you have, all the ways God has placed you to, and, and, and that's where you need to rule, as we talked about last week, starting where you are and rippling outward. Given where God has placed you to rule, how are you uniquely gifted to praise God from that position? You. Perhaps your rule is by providing care for seniors in their declining years of their lives. How has that uniquely gifted you to praise God from where you serve? Perhaps your rule is expressed through a trade where you provide the means for people to live and work in functional, safe spaces with strong walls and good plumbing and safe electricity. How does that vocation equip you to praise God uniquely? Maybe your rule is actually just being a good neighbor listening to a lonely teenager or helping a struggling widow or being present, just present to the people around you. Could it be that your rule there is gifting you for praise here? Have you ever thought about that? I suspect for some of us, this might be a new thought. And it's something for us to consider as we go forward in our rule as royals How is it that that is intricately connected to our praise as priests? God is glorified through our worship. It's a privilege. It's a calling. It's also a command. (laughs) And finally, as priestly images of God, God is glorified through our witness. This first Peter passage that we've been looking at, you know, it highlights this. When we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, we're bringing God glory through our words to the world. This praise is a witness in and of itself. And people hear that praise and that praise points them to Jesus. And the more people who come to know Jesus, who are saved from sin and are being restored to life, well, then the Holy Spirit begins to help these people become more and more the human images that God created them to be in the first place, which in turn gives God more and more glory. This goes round and round and round in a beautifully infinite eternal life loop. Witness brings glory to God because in its simplest form, it's just God's people talking good about the God who is good and doing that with others. It's a man telling a friend how he's been learning just how trustworthy God is in what has been a really difficult situation. It's a woman sharing with her neighbor how she's, Jesus has been helping her to forgive her dad because she's been realizing through this process of, of, of dealing with what happened that, that, that Jesus has forgiven her and all that that means and the way she's being released from that into freedom. Growing, vibrant Christians end up telling others how good God is. And they do it because, well, it's just natural to share good news. It's natural to brag about things that are awesome, isn't it? It's natural to tell other people about the person you love. person I know is in, a re, is in a new relationship, and they can't stop talking about it. This is the kind of thing that happens. Well, it turns out 
that as we do that, we start to also want others to get in on that goodness too, don't we? We're talking about the goodness of God and all the, the good that he's doing in our lives because we kind of want you to get in on it because we love you and we want you to experience that. And so there's a naturalness. It turns out it's part of our new creation image of God identity that we were made as praising the priests so that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, who brought us into his family and we want others to be brought into that family too. And so one more question of reflection for you. How is God being glorified through your public praise? And what I mean by that is witness. What I mean by that is the way you talk, talk good about God. How is God being glorified through that as you discuss or share or talk with your family and friends? As you send an email or a text or interact online or just in the everyday normal content of conversation, how is God getting glorified through that? Don't take that as a, like, that's not meant to be a big heavy or a shame thing. No, 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 no. I'm asking a serious question. Is God, is, is God somehow being seen by others as, as someone that they might consider checking out? Or is God being held up as this beautiful, um, wonderful uh, relational being that has changed your life in a way that, that people think, wow, like this person really likes God. That brings God glory. How is that happening in your public conversations, in your interactions with friends? It's important that we recognize that God is glorified through our work, through our worship, and through our witness because he created us to image him as praising priests. But underneath all of this lies a powerful truth. The only reason why we can bring God glory through our work, through our worship, through our witness, is because we were actually created to bring God glory by just being the human beings he made you to be. By just being the human being he created us to be. And much of this work and this worship and this witness, it actually naturally flows when we're simply being the human images God made and the human images Jesus is remaking by the Spirit. There's something natural about it. There's something that just happens. It just flows. I don't mean that we don't need to learn some things. I don't mean, I don't mean that we don't need to be intentional or maybe overcome some barriers. But there is something natural about it. And that's what this whole series has been about. We've got to know who we are. And who God intended us to be so that we can really flourish as God intended in the first place. Because when human images of God flourish as God intended, God is always glorified. When human images of God flourish as God intended, God is always magnified. He is always exalted. Human beings reflecting God's goodness, God's relationality across all their relationships, loving as God intended caring for his world, uh, growing in his character, uh, expanding their potentiality, loving him with heart, soul, mind, strength, nurturing their gifts by the Spirit. Well, that gives God glory like nothing else does. Human beings flourishing in Christ are wonders that God loves to behold. He loves to behold you flourishing. Hear that? God loves it. When you're flourishing in him, he loves it when you're becoming more who he's created to be. God is like, he's like going crazy, clapping, looking at you, growing up into Christ. 
And though we are now broken because of sin, and though we are often frail in our love and faulty in our fears, God gets the glory when we turn our cracked and disheveled lives over to him and let his love reform us. God gets the glory as we are being restored to glory, as we, as we are forgiving those who've sinned against us, as we seek forgiveness for those we've sinned against. God gets glory as we care for those who are hurting or those who have been ignored. When we seek justice for the oppressed and freedom for those who've been abused, God gets glory when we let him lead us into new ways of thinking about others, in new ways of acting in love, in just new ways of being human the way Jesus showed us to be. He's our ruling king and our highest priest. And as we follow him, we become more who we are. Whenever we seek to reflect God's love more in our lives and to embrace his ways more in our relationships, well, the more human we become, we become as Jesus showed us, and God has given glory. God created us to shine. And it's a beautiful thing. You, me, every one of us, We've been created by the true God and called to the highest order. And it is God's intention that we would shine. Let's turn that light on again, Olin, just just one more time. There we go. I won't shine it in your eyes. But God intended us to shine. We are his images, his reflectors, made to shine the goodness of God to the world and the glory of the world back to God. This is what he created us for. Jesus came both to show us the way to be human, but also to be the way back to full humanity. Restored to God, renewed in Christ, and being recreated by the Holy Spirit. When we're most fully ourselves, God is most fully glorified. You know, one of the lies, uh, 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 well, I think it's one of, the, one of the lies we often hear is that you be you. Have you ever heard that? You be you. Now, often you be you is sort of a, is sort of a, it can be used kind of an excuse. So, uh, sometimes I hear it that way. It's sort of a, you be you, which could just be an excuse never to grow, never to deal with what's going on in your life. There's a negative side to that. But you know, there's something about this that I kind of like. Because when we are most fully ourselves, God is most fully glorified. And it turns out that there's another side to the you be you. When we understand that for you to be truly you, You need to be that all that God has created and designed and desires you to be and is restoring you to be in Christ and has given you his Holy Spirit so that you can be you. When we understand all that, well, then it turns out the greatest thing you can be in Christ is you. So maybe you should look around each other right now and just say, you be you. Go ahead. You be you. You be you. You be you. Because God is glorified when you be you. My heart for all of us, and the reason why I've been teaching this series for six weeks is this. I really want us to know who we are as humans. I really want us to understand our identity. I want to give us as a church a solid biblical framework for understanding and engaging in human identity. And we covered a lot of stuff over these last six weeks. And I'm hoping it for a form kind of like hooks on the wall. And, 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 and though we couldn't explore in depth and all these things, although, you know, we did spend hours on it. <laughs> um, I want it to be the kind of thing where 
you know, you may stumble across something that, that, that twigs your mind or something that, that is false, that, that is presenting a, a view of human identity that's, that's, that's different. And you can think to yourself, no, 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 no. We're images of God. And you can go, go back to that. You go back to the scripture, maybe back to the teaching, but you're able to dig in further. What does it mean that I am created in the image of God? Maybe you'll hear things that are anti-body, things that want to deny or denigrate our fully embodied selves. And you'll remember that anything that is anti-body is anti-Christ. And so you'll be able to come back and think, no, what does it mean that we're embodied, uh, sexed people, that, that God created us this way and, and we fully express his glory through our rule and praise in our bodies? And, and I'm just hoping that we'll be able to understand our identity going forward as image of God who embody, uh, who are embodied, that we're created to, to rule. And, and so that'll somehow help us understand what our purpose in life even as we understand our praise. My, my desire for all of this is that we would be not only able to flourish more as people, but also more readily identify dehumanizing lies that are forcing themselves on us all over the place. God desires us to be fully human. He sent his son to make it possible. And so my friends, I want to close the series by saying this. You are truly a masterpiece of wonder and grace. So much so that God took up residence in you. A home for the God who made you. You are an embodied image of God, a ruling royal, a praising priest, bringing God glory and bringing the world good by simply being who God has called you to be. And you could spend the rest of your life looking for a more esteeming, more dignifying, more glorious, more powerful, more amazing, more influential identity than the one that God has already given to you in Jesus and by the Spirit, but you will not find it. Because this, my friends, is as good as it gets. It's better than we could imagine. And it's here. It's ours. We have only to receive it in faith and walk into it following Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have called us to follow you into full humanity. We look to you as the one who has revealed full life to us and made it possible. Jesus, as we conclude this series on human identity, I pray that you would solidify in our hearts and minds who we are because of who you've made us to be. I pray that in those areas where we have a lot of work to do to understand what this means, that we'd be able to do that in faith and in trust, knowing that you'll lead us, knowing that we need not feel frantic or anxious, but we can simply take one step following you knowing that you've called us to simply be yours. I do pray that we as a church and we as your people would, would truly reflect your good to the world and reflect back the world's praise and creation's praise to you. I, do, I really do pray that, that we would embrace our role as your people here for your glory and for our good. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.